0: Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome for the first time if you're a first time listener to the Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pat Finn and we got a great episode for you today. We got Chris Himes coming on to talk about his article about Virginia Tech, finances in the football department. We're going to talk about spending, revenue, uh, ticket sales, donations... Getting the money from the NCAA and the ACC, that's uh, more so of a fixed uh, revenue. And then also talk about some solutions as far as how can Virginia Tech make up this gap um, when we compare Virginia Tech to you know the likes of the SEC or some of our direct peers. Hats off to Chris for going so in-depth on this article. We will link the article uh, in this podcast right up on sonsofsaturday.com. And uh, this is definitely, you know, this is not your father's finance lesson. You know, I took Intro to Finance with Doctor or Professor Art Cowan, you know, of, I guess five years ago now, six years ago, who knows? I didn't take Concepts and Skills, and I make the joke in the episode. Uh, Chris is he knows what he's talking about. If you want to put your finance hat on and uh, and listen along, uh, we will definitely appreciate that. But uh, other than that. Want to talk about a few quick things. Um, First of all, we'll be excited to finally get back on track with basketball. Hopefully this weekend. I know it's been a long two weeks since that Miami thriller in overtime. Wrestling. Big time victory over... The Pittsburgh Panthers at Castle Coliseum this past Friday night. Virginia Tech has claimed an ACC championship uh, for duels in 2021. That's exciting. ACC's are coming up next. They are on Sunday, February 28th. Uh, Still waiting to hear about Makai Lewis. Uh, Hopefully he is okay. Uh, It looks like he was battling an injury uh, in his match. Uh, this past Friday night. So, um, we'll we'll keep tabs on the wrestling program and Makai Lewis's injury status and his uh the status of his health there. Softball had a big time three game sweep of Kennesaw State this past weekend, which is always exciting. Women's lacrosse, big time victory over Liberty in their first game of the year uh, this past weekend. I know their uh, match against JMU has been postponed due to COVID. Uh, related incidents there uh, COVID protocol, but uh, you know, this is the transition season. We, we got a lot of winter sports. We got spring sports starting up. Uh, The scribes are cooking up some baseball contentery, which should be coming at you soon. But um, yeah, last thing, want to give a shout out to the hub Blacksburg, the hub apartment homes in Blacksburg, Virginia, live at the hub on campus. This is next level student living. You know, there's, there's a lot of nice places around Blacksburg that you can live. But you're not doing it right if you're not signing your next lease at the Hub Blacksburg. They have state-of-the-art study rooms, hot tubs, hot tubs, that's right, H-O-T-T-U-B-S, hot tubs. Wind down after your exam in the hot tub. Uh, you know, check out the Hub on campus in Blacksburg, Virginia. Go over there, check out the moke. It's a cool. Uh, it's a very. I don't know how to describe the moke, honestly. You got to look at their Instagram page. Follow Hub on Campus Blacksburg on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. Tell them the sun sent you if you are signing your next lease at the Hub Blacksburg. But uh, other than that, we'll uh, we'll break it down. Here's the five fifty five. Excuse me. Welcome. It is Monday at 9. I bet these Monday night 9 p.m. games are about to tip off. UVA just got run out of the building in Tallahassee. We were watching, um, but we got a very special guest here today. And before we make this great introduction, we have to give a shout out to our friends down at the Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts. I mean, have you ever seen such a smiley guy? You could see him smiling underneath the mask. I mean, that's that's when you know. Dr. Jeremy and the Main Street Pharmacy, they are already out there distributing vaccines. Go check it out on their website and their social media uh, for more information on that. Getting ahead of the corporate pharmacies. Look at that, Main Street Pharmacy. You're not a number. You are a neighbor at Main Street Pharmacy. And guess what? Main Street Pharmacy says, hey, neighbors, we can get you a COVID vaccine. Head on down there. You know, pick yourself out a Sons of Saturday a t-shirt, a flag. We got we got those down there. Or even if you know you're just stopping in for some Pepto Bismol. You know, maybe you got a upset stomach. Maybe some Tums, chewing gum. You know, anything that you can get at a pharmacy, you can find it with Dr. Jeremy. So head on down there. All right, let's jump into this. We have a very special guest on Scribe of Saturday. Now we we, we launched the Scribes of Saturday in July when we launched the website and it was incredibly exciting. And you know, we kind of just put our feelers out there and said, if you want to write for the sons of Saturday, please hit us up. We know that there's a lot of Hokies out there who want to tell a story. And this is one of, one of our best scribes here, Chris Himes, King storyteller, the elder scribe, as some might know him. I'm going to read his bio real quick. I'm going to read the bio, Chris and then, you know, we could fill in any gaps, anything that we might have missed. But uh, Chris Himes, the elder scribe, after a decade of military service, earning my master's, a short stint in marketing, joining an NBA site to write about hoops, and working in local government, logically, the next step was to join Sons of Saturday. Why might you ask? Oot prosum, Southwest Virginia, the tradition, the people, the campus, the food, and game days. All of which made Virginia Tech a special college experience. It's why I wanted to share my own experiences and perspective about VT and give back to the school that provided me with so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Himes, Chris, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing great. No, I, it's an honor to probably be what will uh, go down as the lowest possible kind of the the, the absolute basement of, an, of a guest that you can have on the podcast. That's great. And no, I'm, I'm really, from a self-deprecation standpoint, it's an absolute honor to be here, to, to grace the, the, the absolute Hall of Fame level of, of personalities that you've had on before me. So I can say that a bit on the same podcast as Chris Long. So there you go.
0: <laughs> Love that. Welcome, Chris. And uh, we're happy to have you. So um, long story short, Chris wrote an article last week well, he, he'd been building up this article for a while now about Virginia Tech finances. Before we get into that, quick questions here, Chris. You graduated when? 05, 06? Class of 06. 06. Gotcha. Okay. So the elder scribe, you know, yes. sons, of, sons of gray hairs.
1: Um, hey, sons of silver foxes, you know, sons of just slightly around the temples, but uh, we're good. <laughs> it's like a fine wine.
0: There you go. So... Uh, before we before we get into it, real quick, favorite Virginia Tech memory when you were a student? Uh, athletic wise, um, athletic wise, yeah.
1: You know, probably two game day experiences that were tremendous. Were one, um, it was the the hurricane game against Texas A and M. Absolute downpour. It was awesome. There was just a crazy experience to be a part of that, and. The, you know the outcome of the game, like it didn't really move the needle nationally. It wasn't one of those ones that got like a supreme amount of but it just, uh, just to be in a crazy weather game. Um, but obviously the Oh three Miami game, you know, that'll go down as the homework oh, yeah. of the greatest in game fan experience of all time. The lane was uh, no, that's not hyperbole. It was rocking. Like the whole stadium was shaking from basically kickoff all the way through and probably about 30 minutes, even before kickoff. So uh, nothing will ever come close to being in Lane Stadium especially where I was in the core you know those kind of front row seats down there towards the bottom of the uh, the south end zone just an absolute awesome game to be a part of
0: that's the one game from my childhood that I wish I could have been at you know there's a lot of games on that list the Nebraska games on there I wasn't at Miami 2011 hurricane game you just mentioned but Miami 03, I mean, that takes the cake. You had everything you could ask for in a football game uh, there. But, uh, Chris, we're happy to have you. So let's set the table here. Uh, you write an article about Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech football finances, you know, relative to our competition, uh, spending, expenses, you know, recruiting budget, this, that, and the other. Um, but, you know, what kind of moved the needle for you or what pushed you to, uh, you know, kind of start building out this article? You know, was there any catalyst event, or, you know, was it just ongoing conversation? Like, why did you decide to write it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I have a finance background. So I just I, when it comes to just how organizations choose to spend money, structure their budget you know how they get revenues expense so that that's kind of like my my nerd kind of core there so I, I was just really interested in that always and it's it's funny it's it's something that you just can't go easily get online so it's something you have to dig for and i guess that was the reason i never really looked into it much further was just you know it's it's too difficult to find the answer um but you just got a sense over the last few years i mean other than just people wanting to just make kind of anecdotal assumptions about the state of the program. You know, if it was about a coaching decision or something like that, that's one thing, but one of them was always just permeates to the surface all the time. It's just, well, Virginia Tech's a poverty school. We don't have the resources. And I just wanted to know, was that true? I didn't go into it with a bias. I didn't think that it was going to be one thing and then turned out to be another. I just wanted to answer that question. So I guess in a sense I wrote the article for myself and then I think it's about 6,500 words later. I, th- I think I found an answer, but um yeah, it was just a kind of a journey, like a, like, you know, just a deep dive think of it like a, like going down the rabbit hole um with the mindset of, okay, I understand um how these numbers are kind of, you know, what they mean, kind of what normal budgeting kind of parameters usually are set for a public organization. It's what I work in now. So I just kind of had that, that interest and understanding. And then once I found the, um the night commission database, I was like, all right, this is a game changer. And, I guess the other question was, why has it never been done before by anybody else? I mean, usually people use the, what is it? The USA Today releases those kind of fiscal year, yeah. um, you know, revenues, expenses per athletic department, but it's too high level. It doesn't give you that. It it shows you when you click on the numbers, kind of the base categories, but doesn't really give you much explanation of what they mean. There's no definition. So there's just not a lot of real context involved with it. So I just wanted to find out the context and specifically for Virginia tech, like what that meant for us, how we've done over the years. And most importantly, you know, how are we doing against the competition? You know, who, who's kind of our immediate peers um, financially, not just as an athletic department, but as a kind of, you think of it like a football department.
0: So, you did a lot of research on Virginia tech, but even before that you, you did some plug and play with Bama and Ohio state, just to kind of see how they compared against each other. Uh, what did you find there?
1: Yeah. just, you know, just, if there's any, going to be, I don't know, any kind of just a lead into it. I just figured why not use the two teams that just played in the national championship? Like it's the fresh in everyone's mind. You would think, team a alabama is you know one of the elite obviously programs but are they one of the elite spenders you know what are they doing and then ohio state same thing um so i just said okay well i understand where this information is located and going um forward like let's put it out there as a uh, kind of like a business case like well what are they against each other and um yeah the inference, the interesting thing was just how much more Alabama spends than even the, quote unquote, their elite peers. And now there are teams that are close to them in the kind of top five, but they're not the teams that you would expect. Um, so I think they spent about 64 million a year. Like I think in 2018, when that was the most up-to-date numbers, I use 2018 because that was the most available information, uh, Tennessee, um, Arizona state, you know, Florida State and then I think the one team that kind of showed it was Texas A&M which I would hope so because they I think they're right up there with Texas is one of the highest grossing athletic departments in the United States but those were their immediate peers Ohio State was actually like just barely in the top 10 and so it's like all right well you know if you give Nick Saban a what is it like a near 17 million dollar advantage you know yeah he's probably going to win a bunch of national titles and guess what he's won what six and 12 years so And he doesn't have any spending peers really at the same level where Alabama doesn't necessarily have any kind of, you know, real competition when it comes to coaching administration, kind of buy-in, you know, fan engagement and spending, like they're just lockstep across the board. And it, it, like you think of like the Patriots, they had the owner, the coach and the quarterback, they're kind of at that same level. They have everything going for them. So that was my big takeaway was just how crazy, uh, crazy about football alabama i guess is the big takeaway
0: yeah like today we hired john tenuta and he's going to be a uh, like an analyst role alabama's got what 10 15 20 john tenutas on their staff
1: i saw that they have 10 now they don't give you the bios you don't necessarily know kind of where these people are coming from but people just assume that you know nick saban has you know 30 plus people on his staff Well. you you can go on their site. He doesn't, they, I think they have just for their football operations, um, 40 personnel kind of earmarked within the football quote unquote department there. It was a 10 on field coaches, which is an NCAA, you know, I believe set uh, uh, cap. Um, they have two, you know, those kind of quote unquote special assistant to the head coaches or the associate type head coach, kind of like what Jerry kill was for us um, last year. Um, then they just have a pool of people for their football operations. They're obviously they're recruiting. I kind of mix recruiting player personnel, player development, kind of in that same group. Um, and then the rest of the 10 was all just football analysts was the name of the position. Um, and how that differed from us. You know, we, if you look at our total football staff, it shows including the coaches 37, So it's 37 versus 40. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're right there. That's crazy. And I didn't think that we'd be anywhere near that. And then you look at the categories of positions and it's like Alabama, it's all football. There isn't any mixture of anything else. And then for us, you know, you have our strength and conditioning staff and you have some medical staff support in there. So really 37, you you take out those eight positions, you know, now you're down to 29. So our football staff, this includes coaches, recruiting, um, operations um, were 11 people behind what would be kind of considered the gold standard of a football operations department which is Alabama so the real gap is 11 um, so there's there's some interesting uh, just differences for how athletic departments and how football departments choose to structure the organization and you know we include, you know, strength and conditioning and, and medical support staff and s- certain schools don't. I don't know what that means for their overall kind of budgets, because you don't get that kind of breakdown of what's associated with their football spending. But I just thought that the, just the structure of the departments was interesting and also shows our room for growth. Hey, we are 11 support staff positions behind, I guess with, um, I guess we can call them coach Tenuta. Uh Now we're what, 10, we're 10 behind Alabama. So that is our room to grow. And that can be more operations that can be more recruiting that can be more support kind of analyst jobs, but that just shows the gap, you know, so that's good. That's good to know where you have room to improve.
0: So as we get into this here, we're going to approach it with some structure sons of structure. Chris, you had three parts of the article. Uh, So we'll we'll kind of break this uh, podcast here down into three different segments. Part one, what are the major sources of revenue for Virginia Tech's athletic department budget? Part two, how much does Tech spend as an athletic department and on football? And where does it rank amongst the competition? And then part three, which is my favorite part, what strategy would yield the biggest effect on Virginia Tech's total revenue? And if implemented, how would it impact the football team's budget or the football team's total budget. So we'll take this from the top here, major sources of revenue for Virginia Tech's AD budget. Chris, talk to me about the big three, NCAA media rights, donations, and ticket sales.
1: Yeah. So overall, when you talk about, those kind of quote unquote, big three, you think about what's the remaining part. And that's the one where you just get like a, like just the others, you know, the miscellaneous category, you know, they, you know, all in, you know, you're talking about, what is it seven, almost 20% the remaining of the budget. But really when you're thinking about a strategy, you really have to look at the big picture of what are the big needle movers in, in your your ability to get revenues in the athletic department. Um, And, you know, not going too much further into that athletic department means if you are like Virginia Tech, we're spending, you know, 35% of that revenue on football from our expenses. um, Yeah, you're talking about if you can grow that athletic department revenue, that X percentage comes back to the football team. So um, talking about our media rights, it was pretty straightforward, actually. I mean, that is our bread and butter. That is what we are using right now as the main primary driver for Virginia Tech's revenue, Um, I think it was 35%-ish coming in, if I'm trying to get the actual number right, uh, 37, excuse me. Um, But it's been the one where you've seen the actual growth of the revenue curve over the last 15 years match the growing curve of the actual um, NCAA kind of TV media, right? So what that means is um, this is what you're getting for, um, obviously, your, your media deal getting that for your conference distribution so if um, at the end of the year kind of it works in all professional sports the payouts go evenly distributed across all the conference members and then um postseason football appearances which i've kind of put tongue in cheek that's you know not probably been a big item of incoming revenue for tech's latest bowl appearances over the last few years but um i can imagine you know you get into a new year's six bowl and you're talking about pretty substantial income coming from that so um that's what i mean about that so I guess the big thing was just our largest percentage driver of our revenue comes from something that we probably don't have a lot of say in in changing. Um, hopefully, I can't remember the gentleman's name, the new ACC commissioner taking you know over from um, God bless him, John Swamper, leaving. <laughs> but um, hopefully, they come up with a way to really kind of match those in the Big Ten and the SEC, because those are the conferences that are just killing it with their individual conference network, um, even more so than like the big 12, because the big 12 doesn't really have a conference network. They have a bunch of schools and then Texas has the longhorn network. Um, and then PAC 12, it's always great to kind of, you know, make fun of the the one conference that's doing it worse than you are. And the PAC 12 is just so far behind the eight ball, as far as their ability to to harness conference kind of TV media deals. So at least it could be worse, I guess, in this case, but um, right now, it's good. I mean, that that's where we're getting the bulk order of our revenue from, and because it's a more consistent source, it's probably interesting to know what is really supporting that. Is it like what expenses is that really supporting? You know, because donations can kind of fluctuate year over year, but if revenue from TV deal is just a constant, uh, just a known number coming in, you know, you can really make some like bigger position changes that way. Like if you're going to fund for new coaches and something. Um, it's probably good to know that that number is going to keep growing, and hopefully it does.
0: Tell me, because I, I know outside of the big three, there's you know this big pool of, of other revenue, which is broken down into several different tiny subcategories. Where does the Virginia Tech contract with Nike fall uh, on this pie chart?
1: It was unclear, but after looking at, I'm, I'm almost certain that it comes from our kind of corporate sponsorship advertising and licensing deal, Um which I, I mean, like I said, I used some tongue in cheek in the article. This is one where we're, we're not doing well. I mean, I didn't use context against other schools, but I figured who has a really strong brand that's in the ACC and obviously Clemson and the tiger paw, they have one, but you know, one that we have been talking about more and more so because how much they're crushing on the recruiter girls. UNC. So they have Nike Jordan, Jump Man, you know, the Tar Heel, Carolina Blue, they have a really strong brand. And to compare it, I think they were right around $10 million in corporate sponsorship type deal. So that's an $8 million gap between what we're doing and what they're doing as a school. Now, you can say that the Jordan brand is pretty solid and it's probably not, probably it is driven by the basketball side of the uh, for UNC, but that's another one where. I think UVA is even around 9 million, 8 or 9 million. So they're even beating us by a substantial margin. In fact, I thought it was interesting to use the Washington State, which is, has the lowest total overall athletic department revenue of all the Power 5 conferences and they're even beating us by double. So, even to increase it by 2 million to match Washington State <laughs> would be a win um because you think about it, that's 2 million dollars extra, that would be, you know, 35% of that coming back to the football team right now at the current percentage that we spend on football. So, that's not nothing, you know, that's something that would be a consistent revenue source that could make some changes. That's what, you know, three or four positions that you could hire onto the football staff right there. So that's every little cent matters, I guess, is the way to take about it. And that's something that, I mean, tech just absolutely has to do better.
0: Yeah, we can kind of get into that um, a little later on when we talk about room for opportunity. But like, even just looking at that, Washington State, is bringing in double from corporate (laughs) partnerships and Virginia tech. Maybe it's Uh, that guy
1: waving that flag on game day every morning. I don't know what's that (laughs) doing for them, but I guess, I I don't know what it is, but that's, that's how they're getting it there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like as far as that goes, I mean, that's like along the lines with, you know, English field having union park and that corporate sponsorship, is it not, you know, can we get more of that, you know, in castle with the Carillion logo on the, on the floor? Can we do more of that? Uh, At Lane Stadium, which seems to be a lot of opportunity. So we'll talk about that uh, a little on or a little later on here. Just to kind of
1: give a quick kind of recap of it, um, the other two big sources were donations and and ticket sales. Um, Donations were one that has the most growth potential. And you just look at kind of the J curve of, of our athletic department revenues, and what didn't move up at all really was donations revenue and it's not something that is um is is like a recent thing it's something that's been happening you know even throughout the height of the beamer era so it's it's something that we can obviously talk about kind of in that last part about kind of what the potential there is i just my big takeaway was wow it's always kind of been flat you know there never really has been this like huge response ramp up with tech's athletic successes particularly football successes with increased donations over the years so i just thought that was really interesting and you know, we always talk about, hey, we need to be like Clemson, Ipte, I pay 10 a year, you know, we need to do this. Well, I was more like, we need to be more like UVA because even up into 2000 and I think what, 15 and 16, like tech and Clemson were kind of neck and neck in donations revenue. It was only after they made the national title uh, game, lost the first one, I believe, and won the second one that they really just took off. Yeah, winning and being in the national title game will probably help your donations. But you know, UVA over the long run has always consistently outpaced us, and it's not like they were really good at you know any real sport during that same time frame. Like they were subpar in football, obviously and basketball. They hadn't gotten to that point where they had consistently built a winner uh, for their program. But yet they've always had you know a pretty substantial buy-in um, from their fan base in terms of donations. Now, so I just thought that was a good kind of way of altering the perception. Is is don't be like Clemson, beat UVA in the sense, you know, don't be like UVA, beat them. You know, that's a good one because that probably resonates more with the Virginia kind of based alumni donor um, is is wanting to outpace their kind of in-state rival. And then tickets one was pretty straightforward as well. You can only get so much from what you have on campus to actually sell tickets to. So it's, it's, it's capped at the size of the venues in and of itself. So this is one where, you know, instead of thinking about how we can essentially, you know, bulldoze Lane Stadium and built a multi-tiered kind of shoe kind of thing for 110000 it's more of um, how do you keep fans in the seats? How do you keep those? Because you can see that um, without that 100% ticket sales, you can start seeing some of the kind of the drop off and, you know, the the bankable number for revenues. And just knowing that Lane Stadium is the primary driver of that because it outpaces basketball, I think, almost threefold. so. Um, that was it for, as far as revenues is like, those are kind of the big drivers of where we get our revenue from our athletic department on a year in year out basis.
0: Yeah. And if you look, so you, on the article, um, just to kind of throw some numbers at you here, prime Beamer years, uh, 2005 to 2011, we were selling out every single game and that would bring in 16 and a half million roughly for ticket sales revenue. Um, the waning beamer years, 2012 to 2015. I, I remember the first game that wasn't a sellout. We had a sellout streak. You know, Nebraska boasts about their sellout streak. We did have a sellout streak as well. I remember when it was broken. Um, but 2012 through 2015, 95% capacity, same 16.3 uh 16 and a half million on average annual ticket sales revenue. And then the Fuente era began, and we saw an uptick in 2016 and 2017 with 96.1 average capacity in Lane Stadium and an uptick in average ticket sales revenue uh, up to 17.6 million. And now in the current Fuente era, so you know, 2018-2019, the last, you know, the last two years where the stadium could be filled, 89.8 average capacity, 19.9 million. In average annual ticket sales revenue. So obviously, uh, the capacity less folks are showing up. The 2019 home schedule was arguably the worst home schedule we've ever had. Uh, there was not a single night game. Uh, you know, you can't count the Wake Forest game as a night game. You can't count Pittsburgh as a night game just because 3:30, 3:30 kickoffs or four o'clock kickoffs after daylight savings do not count as night games. Um, And then 2018 was just, you know, kind of an abhorrent season, but the, uh, the money's still coming in 19.9 million, obviously, uh, you know, ticket prices are more expensive, but that is capturing more money as well. The last question I want to ask you, Chris, before we roll into part two here is, you know, in your findings, um, did you see anything that stood out as far as um, comparing stadium capacity or, you know, ticket revenue? You know, to the Clemson's or Florida States or any other schools in the ACC. You know, the last fifteen years.
1: Yeah, I mean the the first four schools that just cannot change their stripes when it comes to just the shape and size and build and structure of the stadium that they have in front of them. You kind of have to work with that. Um, that's where a lot of the separation occurs because a lot of these kind of palaces that are in the SEC, you know, Clemson has a huge stadium, so on like you just can't compete with that. So, what a lot of people have been doing uh from an athletic department is like these seat gifts, kind of these reservation fees, can you, know, you kind of kind of double dip um the 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 ticket sale in essence you know because you're getting people to pay not only for the actual game but also the ability to hold that seat for their their kind of season ticket reservations as well so that was the only thing that was surprising me is you know revenues have been going somewhat up even though attendance has been going down and it's mostly because it seems like the seat revenue excuse me the seat gifting um fees have been kind of bridging that gap um so i guess Thankful for that, but it shouldn't be that. And also, like, if you had 100% at lane, what would it be? Well, like, where could we be right now versus where we are? um Because 88% capacity and a season, because you got to think in terms of not just per game, but for the whole season, that's like 50,000 less fans per year. That's a big number. And, and you're not only battling, you know, apathy for uh consistently, you know, let's call it like, par team subpar team but also just fan interest in attending the large scale live events hdtv tv you have all these uh, awesome perks about staying at home you know just you have to incentivize people to go to a game and um, like i said we can talk about this later on as far as the uh kind of which ways we can increase it but you know you're you're battling not just uh like the on-field product but you're battling just the trend overall for live sports in general and that's, that's not good. You know, you really have to think about really just innovative ways to make the in game experience just that much better. Like you can't be have an off field and on field losing strategy, I guess is the best way
0: to put it. So we'll jump over to part two now. And I have a couple of questions from part two, lot of, uh, a lot of facts, figures, numbers, charts here in part two, how much does Virginia tech spend as an athletic department and on football And where does it rank amongst the competition? Okay, so um, I'm just going to read this first part, and I want to hear an explanation because it's kind of funny. Um, So continuing to total football spending, the above chart shows. So there's a chart. Check out the article if you haven't already. Uh, Given a somewhat exponential rise in total revenue and total expenses, the level of total football spending has not increased at the same rate, especially since 2014, which is exactly when athletic director Whit Babcock was hired. So it's true. Whit Babcock came to Virginia Tech to destroy football. Case closed. Obviously a joke. In the famed words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. All right, talk to me about this as far as uh, you know tra- trajectory of spending uh, since Wit got here. Um, you know, because there's a lot of um, a lot of information to uncover here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just put that one as like another kind of tongue in cheek type section because that's another common complaint you hear, Death um, Ecker coming in you know, kind of valuing other sports over football, not understanding kind of the quote-unquote culture of Virginia Tech and kind of who we are as a school and, you know, just football being the flagship, you know, enterprise of the athletic department. And just one of those things where it's just not not true. And not true in a sense that, you know we aren't keeping pace with those elite peers at the SEC because right now it's it's tough to even think about how you could do that just based off of that product and that brand for the SEC. But um, football spending has increased since he got here, and it was just as you looked backwards, I wanted to know what did it look like before with PopCock? so you can get like a full trend of what the actual story is. Um, and it was one where the the data went back to I think '05. And then 05 it was pretty low and then all of a sudden from oh was it 06 to 07 football spending bumped like almost 10 million i think it was about nine 8.7 i think was the total number um that's a big increase in one year just on football spending and what that did is that put tech like not only just above the competition like heads and you know shoulders above the competition um and that was great you know that was right at the height when things were humming as a program you know it was 07 to 11 was a great stretch. You know, we were constantly involved in the national title picture, you know, not getting there obviously, but just like we were part of that narrative top 10 team. Um the problem was is football spending stayed flat all the way through. Like we didn't go any more um up with our increasing athletic department. So it was almost like a I call it the one and done approach, like they just kind of bumped it once and then left it there <laughs> over a span of 10 years. So it was kind of a good and a bad, you know, you didn't really keep with the pace of the growing product overall. Um, and then when in 2014 happened, the actual number bumped back up again. So there was like a little bit of like a right sizing, but not at the pace of those kind of elite peers. So I just wanted to kind of say like, no, it is not the case that they have de-emphasized spending. Cause de-emphasized means you'd be spending less. We're not spending less. We're actually spending more. Is it, and consistently higher number than the sec no but that nobody can compete with that right now um but overall our percentage of spending has actually increased from where it was from you know obviously when uh with backhawk took over and at the very end of the beamer years too so just wanted to kind of set the story straight on that one is you know could it be better absolutely is it you know the way that people describe it no way it's just not the case so but that's context. People don't want to know context. They just want the, Hey, this is my assumption. So I'm going to go off my assumption and get angry about it. So that, that was just one thing that also kind of drove me to write the article in the first place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is fun to, uh, to peel back, pull back the curtain here. Um, Yeah. And as you say here, wit is hired in 2014 football spending jumps from 24 million to 32 million as of the, you know, 2018 statistics here with a slower increase, but, you know, an increase nonetheless, considering uh, in 2013, we actually spent uh, less year over year, um, which is just not something you want to do in the, the modern era of college footballs um, or college football. So how does this enable us to stack up against the competition? Um, so, you know, against the SEC, the big 10, the rest of the HCC from 2005 to 2018, you know, we were at the top. We were spending more than anyone, you know, in 2007. And then it kind of, you know, did plateau off. And then you can kind of see the chart um, puts us more in the middle of the pack here once we get to 2014. But what were some of your main takeaways just looking at Virginia Tech in, in comparison over the last few years, you know, to some of these monsters of the rocket ship of the sec and the like of uh you know the lsu's the alabama's the georgia of the world
1: yeah um it was great the uh the the uh, actual database that i used and you kind of did a couple of different views i thought would be really interesting so one was they put them in terms of fps quartile so you think about all 130 teams that kind of like put them in chunks of groups of 25 all the way down by um, 30 actually i think it is but Um, the median average of those quartiles was a great way to look at it. Like you want to be in that top median quartile, like that is your goal. Like, okay, well, we're not there yet because I think that median quartile is about 43 million. And that's all driven by the, you know, the skewed numbers because of those teams at the top, like they're spending at just such a high level that it pulls that average way up because that 43 is actually pretty on par for a lot of the teams from like was it eighth all the way down to like, you know, the into the low kind of like, or excuse me, the high teens, like 17 to, to 20 as well. So, all right, you know, you can look at that. And then you can look at each conference and then you look at kind of how it breaks apart. Like the quartile of the top goes at the same pace as the SEC. So they're rising together and then the Big Ten drops off and the ACC drops off. So it's more of Virginia Tech is in top tier. ACC program in terms of spending which we are and we are right on par with the median big 10 team which is probably good because they have a much more lucrative media deal so they're able to spend a lot more I mean if you look at some of those revenue sharing numbers I mean even Rutgers is rolling in dough and it's like you know that's that's kind of the reality of being a member of one of those conferences so um, I I kind of use as a comparison like we are closer to Total capacity from revenues, like Wisconsin is, and Wisconsin's a great benchmark for us because we have so much alike with them. You know, we're large public universities. I, in fact, I like a lot of Big Ten teams, um, cold weather environment teams. You know, not necessarily seeing these kind of these like quote unquote sexy markets. Um, kind of have like more of like a blue collar brand. Um, so uh, player development emphasis. You know, those types of schools, which would be a win for us. Like those are schools that are always in the top fifteen sometimes top 10, sometimes even close to the top five who are, you know, a couple things go right their way can break into kind of a national title picture. Well, that's where Virginia tech has always been and it always was. And that's kind of where we want to get back to being. Um, so that's, that was the big takeaway for me is, you know, we were, we weren't as far behind the pack as people would lead you to believe, like, especially when you look at those, um, total athletic department revenues. I think tech was like 42nd or 43rd, you know, we're top 25 in total football spending. So that's, that's a pretty big disparity of your athletic department shows that you are kind of in the the mid tier for power five school almost towards the bottom tier of power five schools, but your athletic spending, you're in that top, you're, you're near that top, quartile, which also is another one where it's like, that means that Athletic director not emphasizing spending on football is just not true. Like, we wouldn't be in the position we're in if there was a reduction in football expenditures. Like, we're way ahead of where I thought I was, excuse me, where I thought we were as a football team. So, that's good news that every Hokie fan should be like, wow, we're that close. And some of the reasons that we could be even closer would be things that we can control, like donations um, and showing up to games. So, that was just uh, a part of this discovery that kind of. Yeah, now we just have to get people on board with (laughs) with giving money and showing up to games. You know What could possibly go wrong with that strategy, right?
0: You know what, Chris? We need that. I was texting my buddies today. I said, guys, we getting season tickets this year? What are we thinking? I renewed mine yesterday, and uh, it sounded like they were a little on the fence. I hope they're listening. I hope they know that uh, their buying of season tickets and donating is directly proportionate to this 100% number that we're looking at and we're trying to get to here for fall of 2021. No there's a lot of uncertainty but listen, if I'm with Babcock, I am allowing folks who buy season tickets to get into that stadium, you know, a little incentive. But um now let's talk about football coaches salaries. Um you know, proportionate to total football spending, it makes a lot of sense to look at how much is in the budget to pay our head coach and his staff and everyone else involved. Why is this important to look at, Chris?
1: Yeah. So, just looking at how tech spends, and I'll go to the athletic department first, and then we can kind of whittle it down to football. Like <clears throat> investing in people and investing in like facilities and buildings seem to dominate how almost over 75% of all expenses go. You know, there's a couple other ones related to. You know, just kind of basic operations like like travel. You know, just um, I think a very small item for recruiting. Um, some stuff for just kind of game compensation. There's there's like a couple one offs, but people and buildings kind of drive the strategy for spending, and it's no different from football. It's just kind of pared down into a smaller circle budget um, from the total athletic department. And coaching salaries is a big part of it. So of a thirty, uh, what is it? Thirty two million. I, I think we were roughly about. Um, just shy of about 10 million total football cat coaching salary pool. Uh, so about a third of our budget is spent on it and that's good because I was looking at, okay, that's great to know that number, but what does that mean in comparison? Cause this is one where you really have to compare outward to kind of know like what that means. Um, and it was not that much of a difference in comparison to a lot of the upper tier teams. And I think when you look at um, the SEC, the average total coach's salary pool, was about a million and a half dollars more than us. So you think about it, okay, well, what's some of the things that they're utilizing um, in those programs? Well, they're probably just, you know, executive compensation. You know, Nick Saban has paid just exponentially more, um, you know, a lot of those kind of head coaches. So there really isn't a whole lot of difference because you have a pool of money and you have it restricted to a certain grouping of people, which is, I think, 10. I'm not sure if it's solely for those 10, uh, but basically people with like a coaching type role, um, that's, there, there's only so much you can probably compensate these people before it just becomes ridiculous. Like could Davos Sweeney make 20 million out of their budget next year? Probably because they have the money to probably pay him that much. Does it make sense to? No. So um, this is another one where I just feel like tech is right in the conversation. We're right around the same numbers that a lot of our peers are. The numbers are different per position. They could be skewed around to be different, but overall the big number, which is just that total pool, you know, we weren't that far off as well. So this was another one where fans should be encouraged. Like we're compensating. Now I did say, you know, as far as who those coaches are, that's a whole different story. But as far as how much we have available to pay them, that should not be an issue. So it shouldn't be this thing where, you know, if we replaced our coach, we can only afford to pay him like two million a year. Like, that's just not the case. Like we're a school that pays them X amount of salary because that is what schools in the ACC with this much of a spending on football percentages, like this is what we have. So like four, four and a half for the executive, you know, roughly, you know, just shy of a million or right around there for the coordinator, so on and so forth. But um, yeah, I I was actually pretty encouraged by that because I thought it was going to be a lot smaller. I thought we were going to be well behind just based off of what you hear and, and read about,
0: as far as for budget line items, the coaching staff salary pool is there and it is competitive with our peers um, and you know, not too far off from, uh, from that upper echelon. So let's move into recruiting. Everyone's favorite thing to talk about in 2021 here, the modern era of recruiting, recruiting budgets, uh, recruiting strategy, recruiting personnel as well, and the support staff in the recruiting room.
1: Yeah, this was one where you you get the number from the reported database, and you have to understand that that's like total athletic department recruiting numbers, so it doesn't give you specifically for football. Granted, that number alone is what some schools spend solely for football, <laughs> um, so it kind of gave you a kind of like, oh, okay, you know, we we're obviously have some room to grow here, but I was able to find another um, great sourced article that kind of showed kind of where we have always spent on recruiting solely for football. They were able to kind of break it out and provide that. And yeah, the the story kind of, uh, the excuse me, the narrative about our recruiting, how much we don't invest as we probably could or should um, is is pretty much right in line with, with the fans' perception and the reality of what we're spending. So we've always been either at, or near the bottom of all, like I say, the publicly reported schools. So like those 52 public, you know, universities from the power five, we've either been 52nd or at the highest, maybe in the mid forties. So that is our band that that's, you know, you think about in terms of what does that mean? You know, we are, I think as of last year, about 560 K total all in for football recruiting type operations. And it says it includes staff, Personnel travel, all basically anything that you would think that goes into support recruiting—that's what the actual um, the the line item budget definition was. was so you just kind of had to make sure you're interpreting it right. But um, you look at the teams kind of in that top level of spending; they all average like 1.5 million and up. I think Georgia has the highest; they're like three million plus, which is crazy because you spend that much on recruiting and you still can't, you know sometimes you even be the best team in your own division, let alone. (laughs) So it, it also raises the question of like, what is the return on investment for spending this much money solely on recruiting? But um, the big takeaway was, yes, we don't spend a lot, but the margin difference between the worst and maybe like the, one of those top teams is only about like a million dollars. And you think about a $32 million budget from a $98 million athletic department, A million dollars is not a lot like that's that's actually a very small percentage of what you're talking about here. So um, for me, it was more of how much staff we have to do it, because that's the ultimate thing. Recruiting is a time game. It's how much time you have to actually go into doing the evaluations. How many people do you have to break down tape, get that stuff compiled into a, a way that the coaches can then understand more about the kid to then have that follow-on conversation and then have those multiple conversations that it takes over time to actually convince somebody to come to the school of which for us that's a big part of our recruiting pitch is getting kids on campus because it seems like our campus is one of the major drivers of our value prop you know because I'm, I'm biased I really like Blacksburg and I think Virginia Tech's a special place um but If you only have, I think our recruiting staff all in, this is recruiting player personnel, player development was five people. So if you only have five people devoted to doing that and you're spending X amount, and then the recruiting strategy is to look more out of state, now you're taking these five people and you're going to areas that are further out, which means now you're stretching it a little bit too far. You maybe expand that pool of people that you're looking at. And like I said, there's only so many hours in a day. So the the amount of money supporting a strategy that was probably more bit off more that we had, um, that we could chew probably didn't pay some pretty good dividends. So it would mean that if we want to do this new national, look, I'm going a national, I mean, like, you know, the whole Texas to VT, we're looking more in some of these States we haven't necessarily looked at. Um, you need to increase the recruiting budget, you know, to support that. You need to hire more people to do it. If that's what you're going to do, if you're going to stay in state, like, Virginia Tech has always done, maybe it doesn't make sense to have a really robust recruiting department. Um, It was interesting. Wisconsin was right there with us at the bottom, you know, but they do really well in state and they kind of stay in that Great Lakes region. They don't really do a national program. So recruiting budget should match the strategy of where you're going. I guess that was my big takeaway. And right now ours doesn't, you know, we have a a national look and a, a local budget,
0: So a lot of things are kind of becoming uncovered here as far as understanding what the competition is doing, how Virginia Tech, uh, you know, might be lacking in recruiting. It's obvious it's money and it's personnel and strategy. And it's, that's a three pronged combo that you need to have success, uh, recruiting at a place like Virginia Tech, which is a remote location and, um, so forth. So, Uh, There is a little debt subject here in Chris's article. If you want to go check it out, you can. I only took intro to finance with Art Cowan. I was never on the concepts and skills train. Um, If you you know about the concepts and skills, go ahead, check it out. You'll probably know what Chris is talking about. But uh, we will move right along here to part three. What strategy would yield the biggest effect on Virginia Tech's total revenue? And if implemented, how would it impact the football team's total budget? Okay, so this is the meat and potatoes, as Chris was saying. Strategy number one, increase Virginia Tech's total football spending percentage. We talked about this at the very beginning. Alabama is such a powerhouse because of the, um, the percentage of their revenue that they spend directly on football. Um, relative to ever, anyone else, it blows everyone else away. Uh, Chris, what were your what were your takeaways here? What were your suggestions here? as far as increasing our spending percentage.
1: So if you look back and I mentioned it earlier when Virginia tech and I think it was 07, they got that huge bump, you know, that, that $8.7 million bump under Beamer um, in there, but that actually reflected almost 47% of all expenditures. So like we went from being, you know, roughly around that kind of like high twenties percent like that was what that bumped everything up. So, I do not expect us to mirror almost a 50% spending on, like I said, it would be nice. That'd be great. You know, that'd be great for the football department. They would have almost, you know, uh, like 20 more million dollars to spend, but it's just not realistic. So you can't say that we can just spend like we did that one moment in time because that's that you can't replicate that. Um, You might maybe eventually grow into that number if everything kind of grows over time, but you just can't do it overnight. So, um, but I would be interested in this is over the entire time what was the average you know and that ended up being I think about um I think it was a 39 percent so like just under 40 um and what would that look like um just because I'd be curious you know we spend 34 and a half we'll, we'll just round everything up just to make it. we spend 35 percent today what would it look like if you spend 39 percent tomorrow um and I think that increased capacity for the football department was an extra four million dollars so that, that, that can go a long ways, especially when talking about fleeting up more staff to help out with the football, um, kind of those analyst type positions that we were talking about, more recruiting, um, you name it, you know, maybe bank some of that and then put it into a new locker facility because people seem to be obsessed with locker rooms. I have no idea uh, why. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird keeping up with the Joneses with college football, but hey, sure, you know, if you need an iPod connector in your in your locker, sure, that sounds good. But, um, the one thing about this was, is it didn't bank at all on growing the department. So you could only shift the budget number percentage around by cutting other departments out. Like, cause there's no way that you can just add 4 million to one budget and take it away from others. Cause it's, it's leaned out. Yes. It has those big cost categories, but those all are all per athletic team. So you have 22 teams you would inevitably have to cut teams. And that's what I didn't want to get into because it's not my place. Um, and I, I would all want to suggest that we have to cut other sports to get to 39%, because even then, what does 4 million mean? Does that mean we're going to be right up there with the other elite teams in the nation? Cause we have four more million dollars to spend No, you know, so, but it is something to understand that um, 39% is a number. If we grew revenues, it would be an interesting um to kind of as a leave behind, hey, we grow the numbers this much, we should leave behind 39% of this for the football team, because this is what they had historically, you know, so there is a precedent for it. And so so um, that, that, that was a big takeaway for, for spending percentages, not an overnight thing. It's like once we raise revenues.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to, to kind of dig in on that a little bit. Um, you know, one, because I was curious. So if we put our thinking caps on 2007 is when that that, uh, that big bump came in the Beamer era how, and you graduated in 2006, how many division one athletic programs have been added at tech since then? Cause I know women's golf was added in, you know, 20, I want to say like 2013, 2014, um, women's lacrosse. Do you know if women's lacrosse was around when you were a student or was that Early 2000s.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one where you know, if you think about it, in 07, if football spending went to almost 50 percent of the budget, it had to have probably have been because there were just less sports. So you get an X amount of money in a pool, and you don't have a lot of sports. Might as well spend on the football team, you know, that's because it's nowhere else to go to. Um, so that that would be a great kind of follow-on thing is just what has been the progression of the additions of other athletic teams um, that have come since then. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's like I said, revenues have gone up, but expenses have gone up as well. So it would be interesting to see what those different ones and also how much are they actually, I mean, people talk about what the next kind of major line item on for like a team, that's the men's basketball team, but men's basketball spends like, I think like five or $6 million a year. So it is dramatically smaller by orders of magnitude than the football team. And that's the second biggest sport. And it is exponentially smaller from there. So, um, if you want to free up 4 million, you're probably, you're probably cutting like seven teams (laughs) if you think about it. Um, so it's probably, I mean, certain people, there are certain people out there would probably support something like that, but I I don't, because obviously what is it? Um, you look at the, I can't remember what Clemson or Alabama said that they have less. I know they have like 15 or 16 uh, athletic teams and we feel 22. So that's an inherent disadvantage. But um, for me, I go, okay, that might be what the the actual uh, number is for athletic teams, but why can't we just concentrate on growing rather than cutting? Like if we grow it enough for everybody and everyone else stays the same, maybe all additional revenues then go to the football team because maybe the men's tennis team doesn't need, I mean, shout, shout out to anybody on the men's tennis team, but I'm not going to disrespect you here, but you know, maybe they don't need a percentage of that additional revenue growth to be to be you know to float their operation. They just don't need it, you know. So yeah, why not? Why not think about it in terms of how we grow rather than what we need to cut?
0: Hypothetical number two, and this shouldn't be a hypothetical, this is this is happening uh day over day. Increase Virginia Tech's total donations. The drive for 25, I, uh, it is getting there. If you look at when it was launched in 2016. Uh, we hosted both Brad Worthman and Evan Massengill on a few times over the last you know six or so months. Drive for twenty five is slowly but surely chugging along for twenty five thousand members of the Hokie club. Um, because I know you had a couple a couple uh, points here that you wanted to make in regards to the drive for twenty five and the Hokie club and uh, some hypotheticals.
1: Yeah, it's uh, this is the single most. Biggest, that's probably a horrible English there. Sorry for anybody out there, but it's, it's pushing 10 o'clock, so bear with me. But um, this is the biggest growth potential for Virginia Tech is, is growing its donations revenue um, just because of where we are right now and where that ranks us. You know, i when I said earlier, as far as like just UVA, I think an overall in terms of just the ACC like we're even below the median level ACC, like, and this doesn't include any of those private schools. You have to assume that some of those people are probably doing better than us and in, in that group as well. So of just those public schools, we were, um, you gotta get rid of the ACC media. We were, we were sixth out of six reporting public schools. Like, that's not good. Like uh, you're talking about not just getting beat out by Clemson, Florida state, but like, UNC also beats us out donations also another one was too was UNC is not as high as I thought they would be I thought they would be a much higher but we're kind of on par with that like lower end and I have like I said I have to assume that some of those other schools are doing pretty well too but just total donations overall for across power five football like we are underperforming it is not it is not something that you know, anybody should be continuing to take lightly. Like we need an aggressive strategy to, to correct it. And the drive for 25 was that, I mean, obviously when Back hockey came in, like that was the first thing that kind of came out of, you know, that's, you know, kind of influx of new, new perspective um, with me though. I thought that as a marketing ploy, it was smart that it used that 25 number, but 25, like what does t- having 25,000 active alumni in the hockey club mean? you know, it's, you you think of those old PBS pledge drives, and I even mentioned in the article, they always talk about getting to a number. And to me, it it makes sense to connect people with a number that shows them in relation to their competition, especially when you're talking about how people get excited about football, like showing them how far behind you are from who's in front of you, and then who you want to be in front of, um, and then connect them with that, that goal, like, hey, you know, we can get there, we need your pledge, like, Ipte, if you think about it, is based off of I pay 10 a year. It sets the minimum standard number. It doesn't say uh, we need 25,000 donors a year. It tells them, hey, we just need your donation of at least $10. Now, granted, they get probably donors that donate exponentially higher than just 10. um, But that's kind of what would be like drive for 25 shouldn't be drive for 25,000. It should be like drive for at least getting 25 bucks or something like that. I don't know, just like a value prop. Um, because right now there seems to be a disconnect in terms of, of what the goal is, which is, yeah, you want 25,000 active donators, uh, donators, donations, donators, <laughs> what's the correct <laughs> term. Um, but you want them giving this amount per year. Like you want that consistent pool of, of revenue and donations are always going to fluctuate because it's something where you're constantly bat- battling, you know, just the economy, just people in general, just kind of what they're you're wanting to give year over year. Um, but you want it in the wheelhouse of like maybe like a five-year consistent average. Um, and that's, you know, something that I don't think we have done because I haven't seen any messaging about that. It's always just been, hey, we just need more people enrolled in the Hokie Club. And I, I think they can go one degree above that and connect them more with a financial goal. Hey, it's it's competitive. You know, make donating competitive. You know, we want to be better than these per- these people. And I know it's it's tough to call out one sport like football to drive an athletic department's donations campaign, but it's it's the reality of it's the it's the flagship sport for our school. It's one where everybody has an emotional connection to. it. You would think, you know, twenty five thousand active donors. I mean, think about it, I think they had like sixteen thousand in it. Like that's one quarter of Lane Stadium. You know, Lane Stadium is what what sixty six, or roughly over sixty five thousand yeah. total fans at capacity. We have what two hundred fifty thousand total active alumni. Like, just just think about it in terms of scale. Like, if this devoted group of people come to Virginia Tech every single year to watch games in Lane Stadium, they're already bought in. They're they're going to give money in some way, shape, or whether be tickets, um, you know, all of this is just vending and and donating, but of the group of people that come to Virginia Tech games, only 20 to 25% of them donate. And that's, that's something we have to improve on.
0: Yeah. And this is definitely a, a category that I have seen um, some, some improvement on over the last probably year, year and a half that has been, um, you know, noticeable. And, you know, I say that I, just because I've definitely had my, uh, you know, my personal microscope on it. Checking out progress here. These numbers we have are from 2018, um, and Chris just said 16,000 and some change uh, donors as of 2018 in the drive for 25. I want to say the last time I checked it out, it was closer to 19 or closer to 20. Yeah. Um, but, but that this was is... the
1: thing: it, it the don like the active alumni enroll went up, but last year donation revenue went down. Mm-hmm. So you can't always connect an active pool of donors to having a consistent high number. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, getting more people involved is great, but connecting them to a target goal would be even better.
0: Exactly. Yeah, because, you know, we talked about this in the recruiting piece, a million dollars in the recruiting department. If we were to be able to, you know, fundraise a million dollars and segue that to the recruiting department, we'd probably see some significant improvement in recruiting just because of, you know, more personnel more time and, uh, and more exposure. But, um, you know, as far as, um, as far as a 25,000 goes, that is, that is, uh, like what if we get to 25,000, you know, then what I agree with you there. Um, and I do know that, you know, over this past year and a half that I was talking about, um, Hokie club membership was changed from a hundred dollars to be a member to $25, to become a member. So, you know, you get all those new people who are going to donate 25 now that may not have been able to get that hundred, but then you might have some of the folks who are donating just a hundred and now they're only donating 25. So that's, that's maybe where some of those numbers of, um, you know, year over year decreases come from seeing some new developments, you know, whether it's giving day um, coming up here on the 24th, uh, whether it's a recent grad program, which is You know, capturing some of those young hokies trying to make an impact and get involved right away, and then, you know, their twenty-five dollar donation turns into a thousand dollar donation in four or five years. Um, That's been good to see. But yeah, I definitely agree with you as far as you know what what can we make this towards? Can we donate specifically toward you know equipment in the locker room? Can we donate towards a new recruiting staff position? Um, you know, that's people want recruiting results right now.
1: Well, yeah. that's the thing, too. And, and I don't think it's just those are all great kind of immediate marketing kind of uh, ideas as far as how you structure a marketing campaign around. But the one thing that seems pretty consistent across the board is that just the general level of Virginia Tech didn't necessarily have like a culture of giving across the board for the last few years. So you're also combating that. Like how do we get people to then understand that now they have to give to keep pace? And that's that's like the big thing. It's it's you gotta somehow engage people who have never shown the propensity to be engaged when things were just the absolute peak of how they were. Like I think I pointed to it in an article, you know, even throughout those years when we were making consistent bowl games, like through a NCAA men's basketball suite 16 appearance, you know, through just general growth of the school, like the school has actually grown exponentially, you know, over the last 15 years, as far as like total enrollments, that means more total alumni. Like I think our 250K areas, like what 250K active living alumni has probably gone up uh, a substantial margin even over the last five years. Um, So everything pointing to growth and yet growth has not happened. Um, So we need to kind of think in terms of, I mean, maybe a little bit more outside the box, like what are some other value props that you can get? because in order to get people to give a little you have to kind of give them a little and maybe some of those traditional incentive programs maybe not are are not working out um that's why i feel like activating fans at lane stadium would be really smart because you already have a group of people that has shown up they're already there you know you're not just sending out an email kind of saying hey push this button and click and donate you know maybe you make it super easy for them to um, on board in the Hokie club at games and you just make it part of, you know, scanning your ticket as you're coming in. You just have people out there like with iPads and Hokie ambassadors, just enrolling people left and right, walking around the tailgates in the parking lot before the game, just little things like that. Maybe have hosted events where you can have it built around active campaigns during the time leading up to the games, just get people who already have a willingness to be there and and give just that much more of a capacity to give. Maybe you make it around, I don't know, like a, like a voucher type program. So you give X amount campaign and then you get, you know, like a, like a, like a meal kind of discount or something like that. I think it's just little things like that. But uh, I do think game experience donation campaigns might help because at least it improves the, um, I don't know, the, the active engagement of of Hokie fans for those who have already shown the willingness to, to be there in the first place.
0: Yeah, and we even saw it, you know, I, I can't say we were at the games, but beating UVA in both football and basketball, the Commonwealth Magnet and the Mike Young popcorn bucket, I'm sure both of them did historic numbers. I know the Magnet had some issues in production because of COVID and supply chain. I'm hoping we're getting those pretty soon, I'm excited for that magnet. Um, but yeah, I can't wait, Chris, for, for the moment. And I know Beat UVA has been kind of a theme in your article and, and uh, on this podcast as far as you know a goal. But um, when we're driving home from a big victory, we all celebrated at Lane Stadium together. You're driving home and you get that email that's like, awesome win, donate now. We haven't really had that in uh, in this COVID, or I guess uh, in a pre-COVID world, but I, th- I think it's going to be pretty exciting when it happens in a post-COVID world and all of Hokey Nation's driving up 81, you know, making donations from their mobile device. So the last strategy here, increasing Virginia Tech total attendance. Um, you yeah, know, that's not necessarily adding a wing on the lane stadium or expanding it more. So how do you take that lane stadium atmosphere and re-energize the fans that are making up lane stadium? So not only, you know, that 89% or what number 88.8 that's going in today, enhancing that current 88.8%, but also how do we get that remaining, you know, 11.2% uh, in the doors, but yeah, Chris. We know you got a marketing background as well, not just finance. And there's a lot of fun on here. Um, do you just want to run down the list, and uh, or pick out some of your favorites? Because I definitely have have a couple of favorites, but um, you know, would love to hear your your uh, your favorites here from this list.
1: Yeah, it essentially was just make the games more fun than just what the atmosphere itself presents. Because the the issue today is. You know, we've talked about it before the games that we have on our home slate inherently make the atmosphere less fun. You know, if, especially if it's like a game, game at worst noon kickoff um, and you have 66,000 people crammed in a stadium, you want to make it. So during the downtime, so just think about it in terms of like a, like a baseball game, like a minor league type game, they do all these like sticks, but that's happening across the board for all sports. You see more live Based entertainment or whatever you can think of, just to kind of activate those fans who might not necessarily be diehards, but they're there, they're in the moment, they're just kind of like attending, and you know, they might see it as a, a reason to come back, like something else that was different for them. Um, so I I I'm a craft beer aficionado. I love uh Virginia-based breweries. I know a lot of us as well. So, you know, maybe just having just stadium-wide beer sales sponsored by having some of those kind of large, because Virginia has some of the largest kind of national brands, let alone Virginia brands, you know, if they could be sold, you know, in lane stadium would just be great. Like that's just like a, like a win there. And plus you get probably added revenue from, you know, vending sales as well. So just number one, selling it at the stadium and two, making sure that it's, it's, it's able to be kind of local beers, maybe even Southwest Virginia local beers, but just Virginia brands in and of itself. Um, I feel like meet the player type events. Like we always talk about these, like engage the old former players, you know, either before, maybe during, you know, during like in the concourse kind of area, or maybe after the game, if it's like an earlier game and you kind of stay behind, um, stay behind events. You know, I, I don't think I mentioned in that, but a lot of venues will have like post-game concerts. So they'll do something where there's like a reason to come other than just the game, um, which if you're staring at a noon kickoff for, for Duke, you know, Hey, maybe if there's like a, you know, for the Southwest, virginia fans out there like a country music concert not necessarily for me but might be for other people but like you know maybe that's a reason for them to come and, and and enjoy the game um maybe if it's a late kickoff maybe have like i said i'm a craft beer fish I'll maybe have like a beer fest you know prior to the game like you know local vendors kind of line up outside somewhere on like a like a row and you have like a tasting festival during the game that would be great for an eight o'clock kickoff against a big game um to have something like that uh I'm a big fan of t-shirt cannons. I feel like we could probably have a great engineering kind of um, uh, competition so students can design the best kind of t-shirt cannon, maybe make a skipper t-shirt cannon, Uh, but just something like that, something they can try to see if they get it to the very top of the stands. I feel like that would be a great accomplishment. Um, uh, In-game seat upgrades, you know, if you're kind of way up there and obviously you can get boosted to the premium seats, you kind of have that like lottery version of it. Uh, all day, like I said, I can do these all day just because I've just been baked into it before. But um, what were some of your favorites, even on this list or, or not on this list?
0: I think uh, involving the students is something that you know would make an incredible and unique experience. You know, like you just said with T-shirt can design, like Virginia Tech has so many students that could contribute to so many things in the game day atmosphere. Um, so I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, You know, I think one of the things that in 2021 and just in modern sporting events, there's an app for everything. There's a Virginia Tech um, mobile app that you can go on and sync it up with Lays and Mikey and listen to the radio coverage when you're watching the basketball game. It's like, how do we integrate more Hokie Club into that application? Or how do we create a Virginia Tech game day app, you know, that gives you vouchers at the concessions, or maybe you can go to the Hokie store. Um, you know, everything that we're going to see at sporting events, you know, in this modern era is going to be looking at every single fan in the stadium as a data point. And how do we collect data from them? How do we get their email? So we get them on this mailing list or this emailing list so we can get engage with them immediately and make sure that they do come back. Um, so, you know, I I think where Virginia Tech is, I, I love the beer idea, first of all, and I had heard some rumors that 2020 was supposed to be the year for selling beer in Lane Stadium, um, which could do a significant amount for uh, our game day revenues. But, you know, I think, uh, ultimately, it's going to be a combination of some of these, uh, some of these ideas you wrote down, Chris, and, know, whether it's a minor league gimmick or anything like that, anyone could get on the Jumbotron, but you know, who's going to have that unique experience of, you know, being able to walk up and meet Bruce Smith at the game or, um, you know, have, have one of those orange and maroon memories um, that I know that the hooky club kind of works with as well. So wrapping things up here, increasing spending percentage, who knows about that hypothetical increasing Virginia tech donations. Yes, that definitely can happen. And then increasing the total attendance, giving everyone there an experience and getting that number from 88.8% closer to 100%. Um, you have an all of the above point here, Chris. If we're able to do all these things, where can we be or what what type of gap can we make up here?
1: Yeah, so I, I use the baseline of that that 25K number for total donors at that kind of average like donation per person as like the main driver of that. Um, but who's to say we couldn't go even above that and beyond if, if we were to really, really activate it. But if you combine in all of the increases in, in revenue with that spending percentage, like we go from roughly about 32 and a half million, which is like I said, amongst the publicly reported schools, we're at 25. And we go from 25 to right around, I think it's like just behind uh the University of Georgia, around 45 million. So you're talking about like uh, what is it, like a 12 and a half million dollar bump just with those things alone and like i said that's that's not including the capacity to grow like beyond what we projected for donations. so if we just absolutely crush it like what it could be um and the one thing i did include in all this too was if we just increase our corporate sponsorships too so that's another one but um like i said i left that out um uh, but just think about that. Like we all of a sudden are nearly a top 10 team in terms of total football spending. Top 10, right in there with the AC, excuse me, the SEC powerhouses. You know, you, you are in front of um, University of Arkansas, in front of Auburn, you're in front of Michigan, Texas, Oklahoma, you name it. Like you're in front of these huge blue blood type programs um, at the level of what you would just assume would be untouchable. Like that's how close we could be If I would say like you hit these strategies kind of all, you know, straight down the fairway, but, you know, that's the kind of growth potential that we have at tech that we just haven't realized doing simple things when you think about it of donating and showing up to games like that should just be the mantra going forward. So that's where I'll leave it. You know, everything aside, the big takeaways, we're not that far behind. We have room to improve. This is where I would do it, and if we did all these things combined, we could be at that level, and and that that's that should be good news for Hokies because it gives us, uh, 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 like our our marching orders. We know what to do now, and hopefully we respond. That would be great.
0: We know that this was not the homework assignment that you do. You know, an hour before it's due on turnitin.com or Canvas or whatever the kids are using these days. You put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of thought into this. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. It's been a ton of fun. Want to give you the opportunity here with some Chris Himes Sharky shout outs and with some closing thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, one of the reasons I joined Sons of Saturday was to just Shine lights on topics that I felt like were incomplete. It hadn't really been truly like given that deep dive. You know, this I think was like about a 6,500 word article. You don't really see those as much anymore. Um, And I'm really interested in kind of learning some more in depth kind of context to some of the topics that we talk about as a fan base. And so this was one of them for me. So I was really happy to do it actually. Um, Some other things I wanted to look at, I was actually really curious about the uh, kind of pipelines of high school talent coming from Virginia schools. So looking at it in different ways of, you know, who, who kind of owns the, the the title belt of being kind of the best source for Virginia high school into the pros type talent. So we'll see if we can get that put together here shortly, but hopefully that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm going to try to pair up with another scribe, uh, Sam Jesse to help me out with that one, but we're, we're going into the details right now, but, Hopefully that'll come out and that'll be a lot of fun. It's just more of like a, you know, just like a local look at, you know, maybe by uh, high school area region or something like that. But who, like we always say like the 757, well, are they really the top kind of pipeline? We'll, we'll try to figure that out. Um, some other things I'm just interested. I'm a huge baseball fan. So I'm looking to kind of uh, team up with some other uh, Sam Jesse and, and Joey Robertson, looking at some kind of just weekly, or maybe, um, uh, maybe even um, during the week, uh, spotlights on how the baseball team's doing. Um, and then I guess as a shout out, I'll give a shout out to the locks, the locks of Saturday. Uh, we stayed committed throughout a COVID uh, kind of um just tough season to call like spreads. It was impossible at some points just because of the shifting amount of players uh, kind of either available or unavailable. So we got through it. Um, and the goal now is to have a March Madness podcast. So after Selection Sunday, I think on Monday we're gonna hit record. We're gonna do our best to come up with the best value props because, hey, uh, was it FanDuel's live in Virginia? You got a bunch of other, you know, extra money lying around that you're not spending because you can't go anywhere. Why not dump it into FanDuel and make some investments uh, based off of what the locks are gonna do? <clears throat> so expect that coming. But uh, for now, I'm just gonna just relax, not uh, not hit the keyboard so hard, uh, trying to come up with some other <laughs> article ideas, but this is a lot of fun. This is great. I, I really enjoy kind of what the suns is kind of allowed to to happen, which is just, you know, be creative, uh, deep dive as much as you want to, um, and just kind of see where it goes.
0: Well, we appreciate you, Chris, and we've really enjoyed uh, the pieces that you've put together here and you and the rest of the locks of Saturday and the rest of the scribes have, Ah, uh, brought some awesome stories to the table, so it's been a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to uh, definitely looking forward to that March Madness podcast and uh, and some of those locks to come. Letters from the lunch pail brought to you by Roots Blacksburg. If you haven't been to Roots, you gotta go. It's in Charlottesville. It's in Blacksburg. They got one in Richmond. You got any Penn State friends? They got one up in Happy Valley. Uh, I think there's five total, but Roots Natural Kitchen is the place you need to go for your healthy alternative. You know, they got the Mediterranean bowls. They get they got a, a new February bowl. It is fantastic. Go to Roots Blacksburg. Use promo code SONSOFSAT. That's S-O-N-S-O-F-S-A-T. And you can get 20% off your order, 20% off your bowl. Again, you got to order in the app. Make sure you order in the app. Sons of Sat, 20% off. Roots, natural kitchen on prices fork. All right. First is coming from Sam Jesse himself. Is tech football's financial situation in a better or worse spot than what you thought it was before this?
1: So, like I said, I kind of came in unbiased. And to be honest, kind of, kind of neither. Like there was a little bit of concessions between what we were doing well in and not in, but overall. Um, we're kind of where I thought we would be because my assumption coming into it is I didn't think we were as bad as people were saying, and that proved to be true. Um, now, as far as room for growth, I do feel like we're in somewhat of a worse standpoint, but we have a controllable way to get out of that. So I guess it's kind of a roundabout way of saying like a little bit of both, I guess.
0: Controllable way to get out of it. I quote the last sentence, the numbers don't lie. And right now they're saying, all you have to do is show up and support the team. Check out the last couple paragraphs. It's, it's all, you know, it's numbers. It's factual. Um, (laughs) Robert Irby, not including yourself. Who's your favorite member of the locks of Saturday?
1: I say no comment? Are we good? No comment. No, I'll, I'll I'll give it up to my man, Sam, just because he hosts the show. Uh, some level of efforts require that he's kind of like Tony Realli on uh, what is it um, the around the horn. He's kind of yeah. just prompting us to what to say around there. So um, just because of that effort, I'll, I'll give it to Sam.
0: <laughs> Love that. Sam does a great job with locks. And then last question here from JK Shields. I've long said Clemson is the model tech can use to increase funding for the football program. And Chris, you kind of talked about that a little bit. What is one thing that tech can absolutely do from a financial standpoint to get at or near Clemson's level? Kind of talked about this. <laughs> and I, it's, they don't have, they don't have, do they have women's golf? You know, do they have women's lacrosse? No,
1: That that is, I mean, you think of it in terms of what can we do as a structure? I mean, yeah, tomorrow, if you just, Pair down the operation to only have those kind of core athletic teams. I mean, that's one thing that would free up capacity, but I think I mentioned it before like Clemson's donations, which controlled their spending, didn't just explode until they made the national title game. So if you want to mirror Clemson, you have to make the national title game because before that, Ipte was kind of at the same level as virginia tech in terms of donations so i don't think it's what they did specifically with their kind of operations it's the fact that they just hired a just a a lightning in a bottle head coach that then activated what he needed from staff and then that team put together excuse me that team of coaches put together that team that made the national title so that is the sequence of events as far as football success was it was to me more attributed to who is coaching their team rather than how much their fan base has kind of given to that team, if that makes sense. And now they're on like a, just a path kind of forward from there, but I wouldn't necessarily think it's wholly tied to what they had available to spend before he got going. At least that's not what the number says. And it, and it, it, that spike happened in 2015. I'm telling you. So.
0: <laughs> Chris Himes, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, looking forward to the future of uh you know the future of content that you'll be putting out here with the sons and uh, again appreciate you coming on we'll have to do this again
1: no nah, this is a blast thank you for everybody for for bearing with what is probably a more um uh, nuanced discussion we'll call it that but it's one like i said th- this is a get smart podcast so hopefully everybody got a little smarter today
0: thanks chris i nah, appreciate it thank you
2: to wander tripping in the sand we smoke out windows drink till we can't stand but I saw you dance like you want to in my head and all that she said